Haraji, welcome to Wisdom Geek. Thank you so much for your time. Um, I'm glad that uh, a person with your experience and caliber has uh, given us time and we're happy to host you. So just before we start uh, the Q&A sessions, I would briefly like you to introduce yourself, um, tell us about your uh, professional journey and how you've moved from one place to the other. Yeah, sure. Um, it's an absolute pleasure to be on this call in the conversation with you. My professional journey, like most folks, starts with the academic journey. So I got a computer science degree from IIT Guwahati several years ago. Um, and I started off as a software engineer. Um, in fact, I started in quality assurance, which has been questioned several times in my career. Why would it be taking computer science from IIT to QA? But whatever circumstances were, uh, I feel that looking back, it served me well because that gave me a strong attention to detail because QA folks are obsessed with um, with with gaps in the software that should not be surfacing back to the user or customer. And that skill has helped me and continues to help me even today um, that if we have made a contract, which is the software requirement, then we need to adhere to that because that is setting up expectations for a large number of stakeholders, including the customer, that this is what you promised to build. This is what you said it will function in this way, but this is not how it is working. Well, so yeah, I started off that um, in Bangalore. Then I, I worked in software engineering for, I think three three years, including a year in nonprofits, doing something absolutely nothing to do with software engineering. Um, and then I went to do my MBA at Indiana University as a Fulbright scholar to to understand uh, the business side of software business, if you will. Essentially, uh, back in those days when I was doing software engineering, the developers were not, developers or QAs were not shown the full picture, so to speak, as in why we are building this, you know, what does the user like? So you couldn't really be a part of user's actual journey. You couldn't exactly visualize the customer or a user actually using your product. Uh, I'm glad that in some of the Adobe's uh, softwares, my name will show up like many of my coworkers when the software loads. Um, but I don't quite recall seeing somebody actually using Adobe Connect. Um, and it wasn't Adobe's fault. That's how software industry was back then. Um, and it, I was curious to know who are these users, you know, um, what are their issues? And of course, uh, you know, we get information second, third hand, but a lot is lost in translation sometimes. Um, that's why I went to do an MBA and then I worked in advertising in New York for a bit and came back to India. In India, I thought the best way to marry my computer science education and business training would be 
product management because here I'm not just involved in building of software, but also involved in why we're building that, how will our business gain by doing that. Um, and I started with Daily Hunt, which is India's largest news app in multiple languages. Um, then I worked with News Corp's VC Circle property in India, which was a little shift because it was a bit like B2B. Um, and it was a web property, whereas Daily Hunt was mo mostly a mobile uh, business. And I, then I briefly worked for Parentune, which is uh, a baby tech startup in the space of uh, content and advice for young parents. And then I moved to Canada. Um, here, I worked in variety of sectors, insurance, auto industry, fintech, um, and now in the API infrastructure. So that has been my professional journey, doing product management for the major part of my career in India and North America, well, mostly in Canada and US, and uh, starting off as a software engineer in India. Yeah. Well, that's almost, I guess, eight years now of product management. Almost yeah. ready to complete your decade. Probably. <laughs> Amazing. So uh, while you were doing all of this, how did you see a shift, if at all, right? Um, from, let's say, India to US mm -hmm. or Toronto, right? Was there any shift in the product management perspective? Did people have a different mindset around product management? Or what was the difference which you felt uh, from the PM lens? Yeah, I think... Um... India being a huge country in terms of population. So there's a huge volume of users as well. So it's a ripe market, overripe, if I would say, for B2C uh, kind of products. And that's why decisions are heavily data-driven. Um, and that reflects in the interview process. The, the hiring manager or the hiring team would ask you a lot of why questions, you know, not everything is about tell me about a time when, you know, all those behavioral questions, they, they might start off like that, but they would drill you on why, you know, what signals you looked at and hope, and most likely they would look for data signals, you know, because if daily hunt, for example, at least back then 5 million daily readers were there on the app. So the decisions need to be uh, based on thorough research that is expected of PMs. But when I came to North America here in Toronto, I noted there was a significant shift right from the interview process itself. Um, there were not of there were not enough questions on data, uh, right. partly because it's a, Canada is a smaller country in terms of population. Um, and that's why there are more B2B startups. But in general as well, I think uh, at least four years ago when I started exploring product career here, there was less, um, um, less rigor on, on data. I recall Shopify, I attended their event two or three years ago. Only then they had begun to set up 
a real data science team you know back then it was kind of uh, not very structured uh, that's how it was so that was one major shift uh, and that is why it is sometimes not surprising to see a lot of engineering folks in india joining product management um, because there are some hard quant skills in B2C startups, which are important. Not to say that a history graduate cannot have those quant skills, but generally, because mathematics and some of those disciplines are core part of your four years of engineering. So that is one major, major shift, I would say. Um, now that reflects in the recruitment process itself. Whereas here in North America, at least uh, in Canada, it questions would be like, tell me about a time when you resolve a conflict. Mm -hmm. Tell me about a time when you went above and beyond. Um, and India, even if they do ask that question, they would be exploring, uh, okay, how, because at the, at the end of the day, regardless of what the situation is, you are taking a decision as a product manager. And they expect that you have some solid ground on which you've taken that decision. Very true. Uh, so what I hear is in India, mostly people are very focused on the funnel and each funnel needs to have a metric being tracked against it. <coughs> Excuse me. And once a data, uh, once a person has that mindset of how each funnel can be linked to the metric, which metric is the best metric for that particular uh, track uh, or the funnel, the part of the funnel, either Mofu, Tofu or Bofu. Mm -hmm. And then based on that, we further kind of uh, pan the complete uh, chart, if you will, and figure out which particular uh, funnel to be attacked uh, and where the stress is maximum so that we can de-stress that particular congestion zone and then make the make all the customers flowing in move easily throughout all the way to the end of the funnel. And that's, yeah. in, and that's India, right? And then in US, mm -hmm. while, I was, while I was interviewing in US as well, I saw a very similar trend, as you said, uh, very behavioral questions, trying to understand how you would try and understand the persona. What would be the persona? How many persona would you have for a particular market? Uh, and then more of uh, behavioral questions, trying to gauge whether I have the thinking process rather than actually figuring out, do I have that mentality of keep keeping a track of all the different metrics and then making sure that the metrics make sense to each other. So yeah, I completely agree to that. Uh, I think a lot of people are actually shifting right now because the lot of influx, a lot of people as product managers have had education from US or somewhere abroad, let's say Singapore, and they've come back to India and then they have become good product managers and now they are taking interviews. So I think there is a shift happening very slightly, but steadily for sure. Yeah, and I think while you were adding these comments, I also thought about uh, the other side of it. That yes, in India, one of the reasons why there's so much focus on the data part of product management is outcome. Uh, like you are expected to show outcomes and show that with numbers. Um, that is why even in the interviews, they asked what metrics you influenced, you know. Whereas uh, uh, here in Canada, at least a uh, lot of times it wasn't what you achieved, but uh, sometimes it was more important how you achieved. So that's why process was more important. 
um, how you collaborated with different stakeholders, making sure you didn't rub somebody's shoulders in the wrong way. Um, but as I'm seeing the evolution, um, both in US and India and now in Canada as well, these are merging of late. Um, in really great product companies or product teams, PMs are assessed on both the how and what, because outcome is not a function of just your skills and hard work. A lot of times you, you need to be in the right place at the right place at the right time. There are a lot of extraneous fact, uh, external factors which are beyond your control. But um, the how part is equally important that you're working as a team. You're not, you know, that we're not being selfish just for our team's numbers so that we can, you know, shine. Um, so I feel which is a very positive direction in which product evolution is going in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, just to add on to that, in India, a lot of people confuse product with project. And I think that's like a huge miss from company's perspective because they would roll out a job description which will say product management and they'll have a proper JD for product management. But then once you actually enter and you start interviewing, then you that's when you realize that this is not a product interview, but more like a project interview. And also the other way around, a lot of project people interview for product managers because they feel it's a very, I don't know, uh, it's more paying job or it's, it's a more reputated, reputable job. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think there is a miss from both the, both ends, but again, uh, the market in India is evolving for both of them. That, that is happening here as well. Okay. In fact, when I, when I came, it was so often common, even when you are working in a company that you thought was a product company, you realize that you and many people around you are actually doing project management. You know, somebody tells them to do certain thing and they are mostly in execution. Um, like in India, I never heard a product owner, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, and that is not too common in US either, because now I work for a company in San Francisco. Um, but here in Canada, that was fairly common and still is. And it probably is an outcome of uh, Scrum or th that whole agile thinking, which I feel has been sometimes taken out of context. And that agile was more... Uh, a, a way of dealing with uncertainties rather than uh, creating a whole new thing of project management or product owner. Yeah. Right. So is there like any set boundaries that you see? So I, I, you have interviewed like with so many companies, right? So how do you identify or like this guy or this particular company or this person might be looking for a project manager instead of like a product manager? Yeah, that's a great question. Usually it is, it is very hard to, for a candidate to assess if that organizational team is right fit for them, you know, right. um, usually for in hiring managers or recruiters, there have been a lot of recipes, you know, how to assess that you're hiring the right person, but other way around it's, there's there are not, not a lot of resources up there, but, um, of late, I tried to ask them questions about how do they take decisions? You know, what are, what are the data processes, existing data processes? Um, you know, how do they understand customer behavior? And those questions uh, help you understand if they are just 
you know executing something that the ceo had already decided and prioritized or they have the tools and resources to diagnose problems research and prioritize problems and then self take decisions because then you know it's it's a reasonably good product company uh, otherwise you know it's it those pms are actually just executing projects yeah that makes sense so yeah i think even when i was interviewing in india i think i asked a lot of questions regarding what is your product team comprises of yeah and how many members how do you interact with different teams uh, so as soon as someone said we mostly spend time with engineering team it figures that it's not a product but more like a project management which you will be end up doing and then that was one of my red flags which i saw and when they give you a bit of a wishy washy answer like yeah we ran some numbers that also is a red alert because they will lies in details yeah. and when i'm hiring i i prefer asking not about seven different projects but just one project but let's go into details let's explore mm-hmm. let's completely visualize how that person function in that situation from all angles yeah all right so i i did hear a lot of the different in the past experiences you have moved from one place to the other and interviewed with so many places so what was that one thing which you saw was a very common factor in all of those uh, jobs or all of the domains insurance pa auto fintech and now api infrastructure yeah i think uh, regardless of the industry pms need to be like domain agnostic because the one thing that still stays common uh, are the product principles like the basic principles of empathy understanding who the user or customer is you know what problem are they facing why is that a problem in their life how frequent that problem is so whether it's an insurance company where we are focusing on somebody applying for a claim or it's an auto where somebody is trying to understand the health of their car um your process to understand the consumer and their problems it remains the same so that's why i have been open for the most part to any industry the only times i have uh, shown less interest or declined an interview call from a recruiter are when industries themselves are of less interest to me where i will not be naturally intuitive in understanding those problems or excited in understanding those problems for example many years ago i think 6 years ago a jewelry startup in india reached out to me in my life i never wore jewelry ever i i don't have much interest or even intuition what <laughs> things people consider while buying a jewelry you know so i wasn't too too keen um similarly i have interest in finance to some extent but when it goes to a point of crypto and those things maybe i'm a later later adopter so far i haven't gotten too too excited so when those uh, opportunities come i'm a little hesitant in having those conversations yeah so can you elaborate a little more on empathy and how that has been helping you yeah i i i strongly believe in empathy uh, not just in product management but in life in general uh, 
I'll give you a simple example. My parents are visiting me uh, from India here. And sometimes we take road trips together. And they, of course, there's a generation gap. Um, and there are very few things that three of us can do together as a team, if you will, which we will all stay engaged uh, and not feel bored. And, and also, in a way, connected, you know. Uh, it shouldn't be that my mom is stitching and I'm on my cell phone, my dad is doing something else. That's not being connected. Right. And I was wondering, what could we do? You know, so the first, it started with empathy that, you know, they have a need to be connected with me. And I need to uh, come up with a solution which will work for all of us. I also don't want to be feeling obligated to do that. Um, and they don't speak uh, or read a lot of English. So, so many op options or solutions just went off the table right there. Um, similarly, they don't do a lot of mobile phone stuff like games and stuff. And plus I'm driving. So a lot of options again went away. Then I found out uh, Hindi stories podcast, okay. uh, which are very few surprisingly, uh, like very, very few of good quality. Uh, but those were very engaging for all three of us. Somebody was just narrating stories in Hindi and we were driving from Toronto to um, some national park here. But yeah, uh, that, that the solution, the search for solution started off from a place of empathy. Um, and I use the same principles when I am interviewing customers of my products. For example, at Nylas, um, we are exploring uh, the new channels through which we can empower communication. For the longest time, we supported emails and calendars and contact-based communication. Now we are exploring that how do we support the businesses to communicate with their consumers in more ways beyond just emails. We're looking at WhatsApp, Messenger, Instagram. But to do that, I need to uh, really uh, sincerely understand how do businesses today communicate with consumers, you know? And I try to put myself in their shoes. For example, when I get um, a, a text message from a sweet shop, hey, you haven't been here Mm -hmm. for 30 days here's a coupon for 30 percent off then i start thinking you know how did uh, they remember that i haven't been there for 30 days and it's a small sweet shop like a mom and pop shop in in the, in the corner so and and i'm very curious in general so i just go to the shop and buy something and try to get an opportunity to chat with them you know what are they using um for example we were working on a project about text to apply which is a new space uh, of applying for jobs based on SMS. You, you don't have to upload um, okay. your resume or anything. Now, that is usually for hourly wage workers, you know, um, who don't need elaborate interviews, uh, you know, Zoom calls or, or all of the X stuff. And also, um, they are uh, like it's a different uh, demographic altogether. So I, I had limited exposure to that demography and also that process so to, to empathize with both sides of that equation, which is recruiter and the candidate. What I end, ended up doing was when I was driving, I saw a billboard uh, text six, four, some, some number uh, for jobs 
So I actually ended up applying for the job. And then I looked at what the flow was, how they were trying to schedule time with me, how they were asking some basic questions like, do I have a driving license and stuff like that. So that helped me understand uh, both the, the job uh, seeker and the, uh, the employer. So th those skills helped me um, understand where the problems might lie, you know, what the process today is and what are the gaps and can we fill those gaps better than other players in the market. I, I like how product management like just honestly flows through you throughout, be it professional or personal, and how you keep using empathy, look for different solutions, even while you're at your like personal time. Right. Yeah, I think P being a PM is not just like being a, in a profession, but like just living through in, in yeah. that like mindset as a growth mindset you, you need to basically keep sure that you're learning so i'm sure you had to learn a lot of new terms when you shifted different domains learn a lot of different processes so on and so forth make sure like you are trying to connect with each and every different functions heads of different companies to try and make the process work smoothly fill the backlog and then give it to the engineering team and that is why sometimes it is very mentally exhausting um, because there's no turn off button. Uh, as you said, it starts, uh, flowing into your personal life. Lines get blurred, uh, because, because of that growth mindset. Unfortunately, sometimes you're never satisfied. You want to make it even better. You're even better. Absolutely. And you need to take decisions every day. You know, not a single day has gone when I haven't taken decisions and Decision-making is an exhaustive process. It requires a lot of cognitive thinking. Um, whereas if you're not to demean other professions, but in, in several other professions, there is still some element of repetitiveness, uh, where a certain number of the days would be very similar because, because not every day you're changing the processes, mm -hmm. but here you're faced with problems every day, almost, or at least every week you find some bug and you have to decide should we, you know, add to backlog? Should we fix it now? And then you have to understand why is it so important? So because you have to uh, constantly take decisions and constantly try to improve things, it can take sometimes a toll on your mental health because uh, sometimes, uh, uh, you know, equanimity comes through peace with how things are presently. And that is why uh, in product management and businesses, there's a conversation around frameworks, which help you create repeatable processes, at least to take decisions. Um, so that every time a similar problem comes, you're not solving it as if you're seeing things for, for the first time, you know? Um, that's why some of those frameworks are very important and useful. Yeah, I think taking decisions every day in a new scenario is, is why I chose product management um, because I didn't want to sit. So I, I, <laughs> so I started as a software engineer myself um, and sitting on the same desk, doing the same coding, being dictated by someone else was mm -hmm. something which I did not like. And I'm like, well, like, so who's actually dictating all of this? And then I figured there's someone sitting at the managerial level who probably has an MBA. So that's what drove me to do the MBA. And then I found PM to be like the most suitable place for me to be in. Right.
So yeah, but that's what things have changed uh, significantly now, at least in great companies, where um, the element of somebody dictating things uh, have either gone or going away. Uh, it's more of a collaboration. For example, some of the best engineers I have worked with, um, they don't just build stuff that I tell them to. Uh, my own uh, co-worker, who's engineering manager, director now, he always asks why, why we need to build this, you know? Uh, and that is honestly also a big difference I have seen coming back to your question about product management in North America and India. Um, in some companies in India, there's still that a bit of a hierarchy kind of thing, if you will. Uh, you know, PMs understand the business, so they know they know it right. Yeah. But uh, here, uh, there's a significant pushback um, from 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 a variety of themes, including engineering. Why we need to build this, and also uh, there's a lot of respect for each person's space. For example. Um, they don't tell me how to interview customers. They don't tell me how to prioritize. Similarly, I respect that uh, I should leave the uh, the how to them. You know, um, my involvement should be more in the why and what. You know, why we need to solve this problem, and to some extent, what the solution would look like. You know, what it should be doing for the customer. But what kind of technologies they should be using uh, is something. I should respectfully give it to them. You know, uh, I have every right to understand uh, why we made those choices. Just like they have every right to ask me why we are solving this problem. But uh, ultimately, it's helpful that we give due space and respect for each stakeholder. Absolutely, absolutely. I think that is a huge plus. Uh, so even right now, so where I work with Builder.ai and. I sit in India, my engineering manager right now is sitting in UK and my team, most of the engineering team is again sitting in India. So the dynamics and the diversity helps us find solutions which are very vivid because things which I can think of from my cultural perspective may not be something which a UK person can think of, right? And if they are, uh, let's say someone is trying to create a marketing campaign uh, in, in India, but they have a copywriter sitting in UK. So the way my brain would function reading a statement would be very different than how they would think of it, right? A simple question mark may not register in my brain at all. Whereas they would say it's a question and I would be like, oh, it's a statement because that's how our brain functions, right? We generally, so I don't know if you've uh, seen this, but when I was interviewing with a lot of MBA schools, they said, why does like most of the people who are interviewing with us end with a question tone? Because that's just how we do it, right? Like that's our Hindi tone where we end up with like question kind of an exclamation, but looks when you convert that into English, it looks like a question mark. So it will be very normal for us, but then for them, it's like, oh, it's, it's a very normal question mark. We're like, no, it's, it's a statement. It's a bold statement rather. Right. So yeah, being culturally different, having a lot of diversity definitely helps. And again, the pushback from engineering team is definitely necessary. I completely 100% agree. Right. Very important. Yeah, because sometimes we are blindsided uh, about things that we cannot clearly see. So that pushback act actually helps you become more skilled and better at your work. Uh, they help you uncover certain things that you might not have thought of. 
so it's it's very healthy and that's why i think there should be respect from both sides similarly when i'm asking them questions they too need to feel that i don't have any bad intentions i'm just curious just to help them if they have missed something you know and that half that happens fairly often because you explain requirements verbally through documents but still sometimes they would construe it or, or sorry, uh, understand it differently and they might end up building something which is not totally different from what what's, what you were supposed to do but it is still not exactly what you had thought in your mind you know and that's why communication is important and i chose sometimes over communication in that case oh so i i have a director of product management who says every single day she would come to a meeting she would say over communicate it's always better than not communicating or under communicating always over communicate let people know what you're doing how you want it done so that there is no room for assumptions <laughs> yeah no room for assumptions that's right that's right 100% and i and i see that work every single day right any single time i have given requirements just once or twice there is something which was misunderstood and the engineering team wanted to clarify but they just couldn't find time on my calendar or they were just too shy to reach out mm-hmm. yeah. so yeah i think over communication is the key for a successful product and a successful uh, development for sure more so because in your mind you know you have the full picture of that app or the feature from the full journey of the user with that solution even the edge cases or error handling but sometimes even you might miss every single detail of that in the document so the more you think and communicate uh, they will be aware okay you want this as well you want that as well otherwise uh, they might miss things and because you still know what that solution yeah. would look like and when they do the demo you would know this is missing yeah yeah no and i think that's where the qa mindset comes in where i mean at, at least that's what i have seen when i do like i do the spec calls with my team the qa is like you missed this you missed that and i'm like but i've thought of it and then i've just not written it on the spec document and then you just add on to it involving qa is such a such a strongly advised thing uh, early on as early as yeah. possible many teams even though they call themselves agile they involve qa in a sort of waterfall way you know not even in the stage of requirements uh, because once you have gotten qa on board and they have signed off the contract you know that yeah now we understand the requirements and they will be after engineering to make sure that whatever we have agreed upon is there in the feature yeah 